The Nats Chat Podcast Party is coming up Friday, October 13th from 6.30 to 8.30 at Walters. Just like last year, we'll be hanging out, chatting baseball, and watching sports. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swung a line drive off of Jimenez's glove, rolling toward the middle of the diamond into no man's land. It'll be a base hit. In from third to score is Alex Gall and C.J. Abrams aboard. A bullet back up the middle, deflected by Jimenez, could not make the play. And C.J. Abrams drives in his 64th run of the year, and this game is all tied again. It's the Braves 7 and the National 7. Big lead. There he goes. Huge jump. The pitch a strike, the throw on down, and the tag. Safe is the call. That's stolen base number 47 for C.J. Abrams. And he has set a new single-season record for stolen bases for a National since they moved from Montreal to become the Nationals in 2005. And now talking coming set. Here's the pitch. Swing and a line drive in a left center field. That's a base hit for Young. Garcia scores from third. Smith around third coming home. He will score. And around the third goes Drew Millis. And a line drive, two-run single to left center field for Jacob Young. And the Nationals have taken the lead with three runs home here at the top of the ninth inning. It's now the Nationals 10 and the Braves 8. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, October 2nd. 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, was at Truist Park in Atlanta. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. There are many things to take from the Nats now concluded 2023 season. There are many things to think about regarding the Nats now concluded 2023 season. But here's something a 16 win improvement from last season. Even if you subscribe to the notion that this Nats season was never about wins and losses, it is okay to take some satisfaction from a 16-win improvement from last season. The Nats, in the 2022 season, went a major league worst 55-107. and 107. The Nats, in the 2023 season, ended up going 71-91. and 91. And the Nats, over the weekend, concluded their season by winning two of three games at the best team in baseball, the Atlanta Braves, including a bonkers 10-9 win on Sunday, a game in which the Nats blew a 5-2 third-inning lead then overcame a 7-5 eighth inning deficit, and then overcame an 8-7 ninth inning deficit. The Nats on Sunday hit like crazy. 10 runs, 15 hits, 6 walks, 8 for 20 with runners in scoring position. This off the 5 home run performance in the 10-6 win 
on Friday night. Mark, this final series of this Nats season was nothing if not entertaining from an offensive standpoint from the Nats. No, it absolutely was. And yeah, the Braves maybe weren't putting their absolute best foot forward. They started a couple of guys in the series who were not part of the playoff plan. They were pulling some of their big name hitters after a few at-bats and letting them get some ovations. But the rest of that lineup is still outstanding. And the Nationals still had to face, for the most part, a really, really talented, maybe the most talented team in the league and more than held their own against them. And I think the encouraging part of it to me is how many of the Nats' young guys played a role in this? Think about how they scored some of the most significant runs in this game, the most important at-bats. It's guys like Drew Millis drawing a bases-loaded walk. It's Jacob Young driving in three of those late runs, including the go-ahead two-run single. It's C.J. Abrams driving in run, getting on base twice, and then stealing two bases to set the new club record. So I think that, to me, is significant, is the who was doing it, the fact that it was a lot of young guys. And I have to say, it did feel appropriate in the end for them to win this game this way. This is who the 2023 Nationals were. They scored a lot early. They scored a lot late. They didn't do much in between. Only two innings out of all nine where they ranked in the top eight in the majors and run scored were the first and the ninth. And I think there's something to that. Now, in the long run, you got to be a whole lot better, consistent throughout a game. But I think it was absolutely a characteristic of this team. They were good at jumping out to early leads. They weren't always good at holding them. But then they did have this knack, not just for battling late, but actually overcoming it in the end and winning some games like that. Well, and how about this when it comes to the apropos nature of this game on Sunday? The Nats scored 10 runs without hitting a single home run. And if that doesn't speak to the 2023 Nats, I don't know what does. I mean, you talk about them scoring in the latter innings of this game, a two-run eighth, the run scored on a Jacob Young RBI ground out and a C.J. Abrams RBI infield single. I mean, if that doesn't scream 2023 Nats, I don't know what does. And then the uh, three-run ninth inning, you had the Drew Millis bases loaded walk and he had Jacob Young with a two-run single. Like, that's how the Nats scored this season. And, you know, that's not the way you want things to be long term, but there is something to be said for that. And, you know, the Nats do deserve credit for having this penchant for uh, manufacturing runs. You just would like to see a different way of manufacturing when it comes to the runs moving forward. But we certainly have talked about that a good bit this season. Well, we on the last installment of the podcast talked about potential statistical milestones to be reached in this game on Sunday. And I'm happy to say that CJ Abrams did what we all wanted him to do. And that is set a new single season record for stolen bases by a Nats player in terms of since the franchise came to DC. Abrams in this game on Sunday. Look, you knew he'd be running. I mean, as soon as he got on base, you knew that he would be off and running two for two on stolen bases. He gets to 47 stolen bases on the season, breaking Trey Turner's uh, previous record of 46 in the 2017 season. This was special. I thought it was interesting. Some of what Davey Martinez had to say to you guys in the postgame about Abrams and you know how basically he can be as good as he wants to be. I hope he understands what kind of player he really truly could be because he, he could be an impact player moving forward. In a season in which Abrams was kind of up and down, but busted out, certainly in the post-All-Star break portion of the season, really beginning with the month of July. Good to see him get this record, a nice capper to what was a step-forward season for C.J. Abrams. Yeah, and I mean, you could tell that he really wanted this one. That eighth inning, he gets on first base. He was taking huge leads, trying to almost get a jump start on the pitcher who threw over twice, almost picked him off on the second one. And even 
on the one that he finally stole, there was this little hesitation moment where he thought, oh God, if he throws over there, he might actually get picked off. He desperately wanted it. He got it. He earned it. And as we've talked about, for him to get to 47 after really not having many opportunities the first couple months of the year when he was hitting at the bottom of the lineup, that is a tremendous sign of not just what he did this year, but what he can be. If he spends a whole season leading off and he gets on base at a higher clip, I mean, he ends up right around 300 in that regard. There's a lot of room for improvement. The sky is the limit for him when it comes to stealing bases. You know, Ronald Acuna led the National League. He was up over 70. C.J. Abrams strikes me as the kind of player who can attempt to do that if he gets on base enough. We saw him draw more walks in the second half. There is still a lot of room for growth there. And what's encouraging to me is that he was already a pretty good player here, knowing that there's still a lot more left in there that he can get better at. So I I think when it's all said and done, he goes down to me as one of the biggest stories of the season and one of the most pleasant developments of the season for me is what C.J. Abrams did. I think if he can just become more adept at drawing walks, like just that will make a massive difference. He ends the season with a 300 on base. You can't have that from a number one batter. That's got to be better. He knows that. The team knows that. But if he can just demonstrate that ability to draw walks that he demonstrated as this season goes on, like that right there could make all the difference in the world. If he can get to being like a 340, 350 on base guy, get on base at that kind of a clip. I mean, the power is already... There, you know, to at least some extent, I mean, 18 home runs this season, he ended up slugging over 400, you know, you want to see that go up, but just get on base some more, generate more opportunities for stolen bases. And if you can, you know, improve on the hitting just a little bit in terms of the home runs, I think you've got yourself a really nice player because the defense plays, the overall value is there. I mean, this guy is emerging as the player he was drafted to be. And it's just a matter of him continuing to, you know, climb that ladder to being as good as he can be. And I was going to mention the defense as well, because I don't think that should be glossed over at all. Think about opening day, the three airs against the same Braves team and what he looked like and how shaky he appeared to be. And the player that he was defensively at the end of this season, where every time ball was hit to him, you were confident he was going to make the play. Very fundamentally sound. He worked hard this year on the bases, in the field, at the plate. And you did ultimately see a player who showed that he can be coached, a player who showed he can learn where room for improvement is and then can implement that and do a good job with it. And this is bold praise, but I I think I feel pretty comfortable saying this. C.J. Abrams has the potential, the potential to ultimately be a better all-around shortstop than Trey Turner was. And Trey Turner is a fantastic all-around shortstop. We know what he was and what he still is in this league. C.J. Abrams has the ability to be as good, if not better, than Trey Turner because look what he's already done in his age 22 season with the whole world in front of him. I don't think Trey Turner was this guy at this stage of his career. We'll see what the final war rankings end up being for Nats players, but Abrams entered Sunday with a war per baseball reference for this season at 3.4 tops among all Nationals position players. So, you know, assuming that he winds up in that territory, which he should, three and a half war player, pretty good. And, uh, you know, you can be better than that, but that's a nice sort of baseline upon which Abrams can build. So good stuff from CJ Abrams. K-Bear Ruiz ended up having a great series over these three games at the Braves. Kbert Ruiz was an ad starting catcher in each of the first two games of the series. He was a starting DH in game three. He, over these three games, went seven for 15 with a home run, two doubles, four singles, five RBI, and five runs. 
Kaybaird for the season ends up being tied with Abrams for number two on the Nats in home runs with 18 and ends up being number three among all qualified Nats in OPS at 717. Certainly another level he can get to offensively. We've talked about him recently, but I was glad to see him end his season like this. He really did well over these three games at Atlanta. And I think that was important because physically he was worn down. He played a lot this year. You saw him in the final game not catch, but just be the DH. I think that is a path they can continue to use to keep him in the lineup more without wearing down his body too much as a catcher. It's the hardest thing in the world. Remember last year, he didn't finish the year because he got hurt in early September, missed the last few weeks. So this really was his first full start to finish big league season. He held up very well. There is room for improvement, of course. You would love to see not just the power that he displayed. And frankly, he and Joey Manessis were their best clutch hitters, runners in scoring position. You just want to see a little bit more in all the other at-bats and a little more selectivity at the plate, I think will go a long way for him. And then defensively, there is a lot of room for improvement. He knows it. He mentioned it when we talked to him this weekend that he's got to get better at calling games, at framing pitches, throwing runners out, all those things that ultimately are going to make his defensive metrics look pretty poor this year. He wants to be a good all-around catcher. He does not just want to be an offensive catcher. I think that's the biggest step for him going into next year. I think He knows, the team knows that he's got most of the offensive skills down with obviously room for improvement. I think the biggest improvement needs to come behind the plate for him. Yeah, a lot of things you can look at for a catcher in terms of his defense. But how about this? Kbert went into Sunday with a defensive run saved on the season of minus 14. Uh, (laughs) You can't have that (laughs) with a catcher. That's got to be better. And uh, like Mark just said, the Nats do know that. You mentioned Joy Manessis. He gets to 89 RBI on the season. Unfortunately, does not get to 90. Did have an RBI on Sunday, but he finishes number one on the Nats uh, in RBI with 89. Number two on the Nats in runs batted in on the season. Lane Thomas at 86. Lane ended up having a pretty good series here over these three games at the Braves. He was an at starting right fielder and number two batter in all three games. He went a combined five for 16 with a homer, a double, and three singles. He winds up uh, leading the Nats and homers for this season at 28, ends up leading uh, all qualified Nats this season in OPS at 783. He certainly tailed off in the post-All-Star break portion of the season. But, you know, if you bottom line it, first two months with the Nats in 2021 hit well. Last season wasn't great, but he wound up being an above league average batter. And then this season, he ends up having overall a really nice season. I mean, even if you factor in him tailing off, like if you look at these numbers for the season, And if you present those to your preseason self, like, of course, you would have said, yeah, heck yeah, give those numbers to Lane Thomas. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see what he does next season as we await the arrivals of, you know, the cavalry uh, led by Dylan Cruz and James Wood and everybody else. What do we get from Lane Thomas? And does he sort of force the Nats to make some tough calls in terms of, hey, you may have all these outfielders in the farm system, but I'm hitting well. Let's see you take me out of the lineup with how well I'm doing. I think that's going to be an interesting storyline for next year. Yeah, the best thing he has going for him is the fact that he's already a proven big league player and a good one, as we've seen, especially this year. But even really since the day they acquired him and called him up, he has been a good big league player for them. So he's already established that. The other guys have to still prove it at this level. Now, what he's got to do is not let that get into his mind and say, well, I've still got to show them so that when they do call up these players, I'm not the one getting bumped from the spot. I don't think he's the type to put that kind of pressure on himself. He's a pretty carefree player, but he is prone to slumps, as we said. Talked to him before Sunday's game, and he mentioned that a big thing for him this year was trying to 
restrict those slumps to shorter bursts. We saw last year, it was kind of month to month. He would be really hot, then really cold. He still had his slumps this year, but he feels like they were shorter. He feels like he learned some things from that about how to get out of them and not let them spiral. I think that's the key step for him to have that consistency. But you know, ultimately, if a couple of these big names come in and they take over big spots in the lineup, I think it will do a lot for Lane and allow him to be in a more comfortable spot. I mean, he so much of the focus of the offense was on him at times. And that's not necessarily fair to a guy who was never profiled to be that kind of player. He's their number two hitter, which we talk about usually these days is your best hitter. He deserves to be on this team. In the long run, you don't think of him as being that guy. So hopefully the others come up and take over those roles, but still allow him to be a really productive player in a more comfortable position in a lineup. I think he can be that. I absolutely think, and I think the Nationals think that he can be a significant part of a team that wins here in the next few years. Well, and let's be honest about things too. So specific to next season, the eyes really are on Dylan Cruz and James Wood. There's a lot to be determined with Robert Hassel III and Elijah Green, given the 2023 seasons that those guys have had. They have not had very good 2023 seasons. They have had problems uh, with strikeouts. So I think at this point, it would be surprising if either guy made his major league debut next season. You never say never, but you know, I, I think like the expectation would be Cruz and Wood next season. Yes, Hassel and Green, probably not. And so you would think if that's the case, then Lane Thomas at least could have himself one more season as a full-time outfielder for the Nats. And of course, who knows? I mean, you know, so often in sports, we think we know and we end up knowing nothing. And like things happen that nobody ever saw coming. So you can't just assume things are going to play out the way that you expect. But a nice season for Lane Thomas, for sure. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, this is Tim Shovers, producer and creator of the podcast. End of our third season. Can't thank you all enough for your support and hanging with us through this long season of Washington Nationals baseball. There are a lot of shows, as you can imagine. Things add up. So if you want to give a little extra help to the podcast before the offseason arrives, feel free to do so. Go to NatsChatPodcast.com, click on the Merch button, and then you'll see the Donate Now button. That opportunity gives you a page where you can go from ranging from $5 to $47, maybe even uh, a custom amount if you feel you want to do a different amount. Again, that's NatsChatPodcast.com. Click on Merch, the Donate Now button, and it should set you up. Either way, can't thank you all enough again, and uh, back to the show. Hey, are you a law firm partner or an associate stuck on an underperforming franchise? Do what Nationals legend Max Scherzer did. Demand a trade. He left the New York Mets, right? And uh, ended up on a contender in the American League. There might be greener pastures and a lot more money at another law firm for you and your team at another law firm, not to mention better management and better services to offer your clients. The law firm lateral partner market is still red hot, and Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfas is the best legal recruiter in Washington, D.C., or anywhere. And Mason wants to help you find a new and better home. Mason Kalfas, he is the Scott Boris of legal recruiters. Put him to work for you. Mason will sit down with you and understand your practice and career or financial goals. He will confidentially discuss your candidacy with law firms that are contenders, not 60 win teams. You can reach Mason or any of his team of seven recruiters at 202-486-3535 or email Mason at mason at zenith.com. 
That's 202-486-3535 or via email at mason at zenithlegal.com. Go Nats! The Nats will be contenders very soon, and you can be a contender even sooner. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the set. And now the pitch. Swing to ground ball right side. Through into right field. A base hit. Albee scores from third. Riley around third coming home. Thomas throw to the plate. Is out in front and not in time. It's a single to right for Olsen. RBIs 138 and 139. And the Braves have cut the Nationals lead in half here in the bottom of the first inning. The highest scoring first inning team in the major leagues. And it's now the Nationals for the Braves too. Well, the Nats' starting pitcher for this uh, season-ending 10-9 win at the Braves on Sunday was Jackson Rutledge. We've been talking about the likelihood of Rutledge being in the Nats' opening day rotation for next season. He ends up making four starts at the major league level off being called up to the majors a few weeks back, September 13th. And uh, wouldn't you know it, two good starts and two bad starts. So if you're still not sure about whether Rutledge will begin next season in the opening day rotation, I don't know that you're any more sure now. He did not have a particularly good outing uh, on Sunday. Five runs in five innings. He gave up five hits, a three-run homer, a double, and three singles. He issued two walks and two hit-by-pitches. He recorded four strikeouts. Uh, He, over his five innings, threw 92 pitches, 58 strikes versus 34 balls. Rutledge, in a three-run third for the Braves, issued a leadoff walk of Ozzie Albies, issued a one-out hit-by-pitch in Nicky Lopez, and then gave up the big blow. It went out three-run opposite field home run by Marcelo Zuna to right center field to tie the game at five, 432 feet per stat cast. Davey, during his postgame session with you guys, talked about Rutledge needing to have more conviction in terms of throwing for strikes. What do you think now with Jackson Rutledge in terms of him being in that opening day rotation for next season? I think all along that was probably a long shot. You know, he he mentioned to us, and it was a great line from him, he said, a year ago, He's struggling to get through the third inning in low A ball against the Delmarva Shorebirds. And here he is one year later pitching five innings against the Atlanta Braves. The big difference between those two things. And he has come a long way in a short amount of time. Now, he's not a, a really young kid. It's not like he burst through their system. He's a late bloomer because of injuries and some poor performances. So he probably should have all along reached the big leagues this year. But I think given the lack of upper level minor league experience, my hunch would be that they probably view him as a triple A guy to start the year and then ultimately call him up. Again, they can watch the innings there, 
bring him up and not have to worry as much about his workload. We'll see. A lot of things have to happen between now and then. But if everybody who's supposed to be here is healthy, my hunch would be that Jackson Rutledge starts next year at AAA and then certainly comes up maybe as the first guy called up when they need someone. And then you just hope he can stick up here. There was some good in there. Four starts, two of them I thought were very impressive. Two of them obviously not so much. Faced the same Braves lineup back to back. That's always a tough assignment. And what he said, you mentioned the conviction there, that line from Davey. Jackson said the same thing, that he thinks he overthought this a bit much. He faced him last week, had success. Well, maybe I need to do things a little differently here and was trying to be too fine instead of just understanding, no, you know what? My stuff is good enough. Throw it over the plate. I have the ability to get them out. I think he learned that in the course of this game and something an important lesson he'll take in the next year. He's got good stuff. He's 96, 97, decent breaking ball, throws a change up as well. And I think there is a potentially bright future for him, but I could see the Nats saying they don't have to feel like they got to force him into the big leagues full time before he's absolutely ready. And I think they want to believe that they'll have five other options to start the year that they deem more ready for the big leagues. I think it's tricky because if you look at it from the perspective of what you said, which is where he was a year ago, you say, all right, I mean, him not being in the opening day rotation next season isn't the end of the world. But when you look at it from the perspective of he was a first round pick all the way back in 2019, and he was not a high school guy. He was taken out of a public community college in Texas, San Jacinto College. This season is age 24 season. I think there's a part of you, if you're a Nats fan or, you know, someone who works for the Nats of like, okay, we need to get this thing going here. Okay. We drafted you, you know, next year is going to be five years since we drafted you, half a decade since we drafted you. You should be pitching for us in the majors. But of course, you have to factor in the injuries, some of the struggles. We had 2020 in which there was no minor league season. So like that does all kind of play into how you're evaluating things. And, you know, you can't force something that isn't ready. And so if they don't feel like he's ready, then, you know, it's not the end of the world. And you know, as we talked about from a service time perspective, maybe it works out and, you, you know, you hold them back until you pass the time at which you get that extra year of team control for him for next season to whatever extent that does matter to the Nats. Again, he is an older prospect at this point. Next season will be his age 25 season. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Al Galdi here to tell you about another great deal being offered right now by Window Nation to listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast. Window Nation is offering you even more. Uh, when it comes to new windows, Window Nation always gives you more, but now Window Nation is giving you even more, more. <laughs> uh, the more windows that you buy, the more that you save up to 50% off, plus a lot more. Pay nothing for two full years. Another amazing deal on the great windows that Window Nation can provide to listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast. Save up to 50% with the purchase of a house of windows. You know, even given what has been happening with interest and mortgage rates, Window Nation still is keeping 0% interest for two years. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the great deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, the more windows that you buy, the more that you save up to 50% off, plus you pay nothing for two full years. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi from the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Here's the set. Finnegan delivers. Swing and I'll drive it well to right field. 
Thomas is back. He's looking up, and it is gone. Goodbye. Another home run for Marcelo Zuna. His 40th home run of the year and 100th run batted in. That now makes this a one-run game. The Nationals 10 and the Braves 9. Well, you probably at some point in your time as a baseball fan have heard the phrase, the bullpen is on fumes. I don't know what higher level there is of being on fumes, but whatever level that is, that is what this Nats bullpen ended up being in this series. Nats relievers over these three games at the Braves combined to allow 10 runs in 13 and two-thirds innings. And it's not like Davey Martinez held back in this series in terms of using relievers. Six relievers were used on Friday night, five relievers were used on Saturday night, and four relievers were used on Sunday. The four relievers combined to allow four runs in four innings, and included in that mix was the Nats' top two relievers this season, each giving up a run. Hunter Harvey in the bottom of the eighth allowed a run on a double and a single, and Kyle Finnegan in the bottom of the ninth allowed a run on a one-out solo homer by Marcelo Zuna, who uh, had his way with Nats pitching in this series. That homer cut the Nats' lead to 10-9. Boy, you didn't know what to think in that bottom of the ninth, but that home run, yet another homer given up by a Nationals reliever this season. Nats uh, ended up leading the majors in terms of relief pitching home runs allowed, 94 on the season. And then Finnegan gave up a double. He ended up allowing at least one earned run in 10 of his final 16 appearances this season. We've talked about the struggles of Finnegan down the stretch. But boy, he ended up being almost like a microcosm for the bullpen in its entirety. This bullpen really did limp to the finish line of this season. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think in Finnegan's case especially, you're going to end up looking at his numbers at the end of the year and not think it was as good a season as it was. A 3.76 ERA is not good for a back-end big league reliever, but I think it's deceptive because what you just outlined there, how he finished really poorly. But I think the extenuating circumstances are that, yeah, he was worn down and was asked to do a lot. Now, the thing is, you want to be a top-notch reliever on a contending team, you're going to have to pitch all the way through September and beyond into October. And so this is either something that Kyle Finnegan's going to have to learn. He's a strong guy. I mean, he didn't physically didn't look that bad. I mean, he's still throwing 98-99 here on the final day of the season. But physically and mentally, there is a grind to this, to being able to still be at your best here late in a season and ultimately someday, hopefully, pitching into October as well. So I do think from the national standpoint, they may have to view this as, we like the guy a lot, but we need to supply him with more help so that we don't have to call on him every single time it's the ninth inning and it's either tied or ahead. If you can add to what you already have with Finnegan and Harvey, maybe Tanner Rainey is part of that now that he's back from his Tommy John. Maybe there's somebody else who emerges or maybe there's somebody from the outside you can add to bolster that. I think it would go a long way. I just get the sense that Kyle Finnegan ultimately is going to be a much better pitcher if he's throwing 50 to 55 games a year as opposed to 60 to 65 games a year. Yeah, he ends up throwing 67 games, 69 and a third innings. I mean, that's a pretty high total for a reliever in today's MLB, although, I mean, it's certainly not unheard of. I mean, we do see guys get into the 70s in terms of innings, in terms of reliever workloads. Uh, but yeah, you know, everybody is different. Finnegan and Hunter Harvey end up being your top relievers in terms of innings pitched on the year. Finnegan, 69 and a third. Harvey at 60 and two thirds innings. So the Nats season is done. As someone who covers the team, what's kind of next on your radar here? Do you think we'll get some answers on the coaching staff? 
Do you think we'll get any answers on the revamped front office in terms of who replaces Chris Klein and Johnny DePuglia? What do you think is in the immediate Nats future here? Those are probably the two biggest things on my radar right now. I think coaches probably happen first. They all are on expiring contracts at the end of October. But typically, if you look through history, these things happen in the first week or two of the offseason. You don't want to make them twist in the wind for long. If they are making any changes, you want to give them the opportunity to start looking elsewhere. And then if you're the Nationals, you want to have every opportunity to interview anybody who may become available. So I think that's the first thing. Front office changes would be next. That might be a little bit later into October or even November. But those are some important decisions for this organization who for years have had the same people running both the amateur scouting department and the international scouting department. And they're making changes in both of those areas. Those are really significant moves for Mike Rizzo to make. And I'm very curious to see, does he go with another longtime scout, somebody he's known for a long time? Does he go somebody younger? Does he go outside the organization? Does he go with somebody with more of an analytical background? There's a lot of questions there. And I'm very interested to see how that all plays out. And then as far as like roster maneuverings, there's a few things they'll have to decide. Some player options. Victor Robles might be the number one decision to make there. Eventually some non-tender decisions. And we'll have all offseason to discuss what they need to do and what they will do. But I am fascinated by what their approach is to this offseason. I think if given the opportunity, Mike Rizzo would go out and spend some money, particularly for a power bat. If nothing else, maybe a starting pitcher as well. But is he going to be given the authority to do that? Or is ownership going to say, hang on a second, let's still see what we've got here. We're not quite there yet. Let's wait for some of these kids to arrive on the scene. And then next winter, we'll start considering those things. So I think it's a fascinating winter for them. And there's genuine optimism as everybody breaks up for the end of the season, go into the fall. But there's a lot of work still to be done for this team now to get from 71 to what was it? 85 would have gotten them in the playoffs this year in the National League, right? Uh, yeah. And, you know, the calculus really on that has changed. For years, you looked at it as you really need to be at 90 wins to feel like your playoff caliber, even though, you know, in some years, you didn't have to get to 90 to make the postseason. But that was really the way to approach things. you got to build a 90-win ball club if you want to seriously be thinking about the playoffs. That's different now. If you're in that mid-80s win territory, you can get in. And so, you know, it's not about necessarily building this colossus of a regular season team. If the Nats next season can go from 71 wins to, say, 84, 85 wins, not impossible, not easy, but not impossible, they will be in the wild card discussion. And, you know, we can debate whether this is good or not good for baseball, but whatever, this is what it is right now. And so I think that's something to keep in mind here. You don't have to make improvements by leaps and bounds if you're the Nats to make the postseason next year. You just got to make some improvements. And if the young players continue to grow, we could be talking about the Nats being in the playoffs next year. It's not as far-fetched as it might sound. I think it's funny. We've had this overarching thing of the sale of the team and like that barely comes up anymore. And I think there's kind of this widespread acceptance now of the team isn't going to be sold anytime soon, you know, with the caveat of you never know. And especially with the learners, how they keep things so close to the vest. I mean, would anyone's jaw hit the floor if one day out of the blue, we got an announcement that an agreement on a sale has been reached. But as things stand right now, it certainly doesn't look like a sale is imminent. And, you know, it's funny. We learned of this in April 2022, the Nats being up for sale. We could hit the two-year mark from us learning that and the team still not having been sold, which really is something when you think about that. I wanted to get your take on this. So, you know, the last few years, we've kind of gone into these Nats seasons with low expectations. And 
this is not to say that there will be high expectations for next season. But like I just said, I mean, you know, the Nats getting into that 80 win territory next year is not inconceivable. Davey Martinez just got extended. So to sit here and say he's on the hot seat next season would be ridiculous. But do you think there will be some expectation on Davey and on the team next season to reach a certain mark of victories for the year? That unlike this season and in a lot of ways last season, there will be a bit of, if not pressure, again, expectation for the team to do some things from a win-loss standpoint next season. Yeah, I think there probably will. I think it applies to everybody. It's not just about Davey or Rizzo. I think the players are included, the organization, everybody. There is going to be a hunger for everyone. You start to get a taste of this. You see where that's going and you say, okay, now show us you can make that next leap. Now, here's the thing. We've discussed this. It was a very nice job by them to get from 55 to 71. That was not an easy task. But I think to get from 71 to 85 is a much tougher task for them. And if they just assume that that's going to naturally happen through the course of guys coming up from the minor leagues and the current players getting better, I think it's foolish of them. I don't believe they feel that way. I've heard from enough of them here down the stretch this year. They understand that. But the tone is going to be set from the very top in what they believe this team is capable of by their actions of how they try to supplement what they already have. If they are making more of these stopgap signings, to get another Corey Dickerson type, a Jamer Candelario type, a Dom Smith type. I think that's sending a message to everybody that, well, all right, if you can put it all together and, and go on a run, then maybe you're over 500 and we're talking about a surprise wildcard run. But that's not necessarily our expectation based on the way ownership would be approaching it. If, on the other hand, they do something of consequence and sign somebody to a multi-year deal, somebody who's not just here to hold a spot until a prospect is ready, but somebody who's actually supposed to be part of a winning team in a few years. I think that message you're sending to everyone else in the organization is, okay, it's time. We think you guys are ready to take that next leap. Let's go do it. So I think they take their cues from whatever happens at the very top of the organization. And I'm not saying one way is the right way to do that or not. We argued the other day about whether there's maybe a case to be made for not spending big money this winter and waiting to see what you have developed in the organization before doing that a year from now. But going into the offseason, to me, the biggest unknown of it all is what will ownership's approach to this winter be? We know what it's been the last few years. Is it going to be the same thing? Or are we moving into the Jason Worth, Adam LaRoche phase of the rebuild where they started to bring in good veteran players on multi-year deals before the team had already shown that it was ready to win? Well, we do want to thank everyone for listening to this season, what was season number three of this podcast. And we are happy to say that there will be a season number four. So thank you very much for listening. And we are thrilled uh, to be with you once again. And uh, we are very much looking forward to seeing everyone at the second annual Nats Chat Podcast Party, which will be happening at the home base of the Nats Chat Podcast, Walters, uh, the great sports bar right near Nationals Park. The party will be on Friday night, October 13th, beginning at 6.30 p.m. But, you know, we didn't know what to expect when we started this podcast. You know, you could say that the timing wasn't necessarily the best in terms of we started it in the year in which uh, the Nats started their rebuild. But you know what? In a lot of ways, that makes for especially interesting conversations. So maybe we did end up picking just the right time to start this thing. But it's been great to do this. It's been great to hear from all of the people who listen to this. And it's going to be great to meet a lot of the people who listen to this at the party coming up on Friday the 13th. So it should be a good time.
I can't wait for it, Al. And maybe if we had done this a little smarter, we would have started it prior to the point that the Nationals were ready to tear it down. But I do think it's appropriate that we are growing along with the team in this rebuild. We've seen the numbers. We know that the listenership keeps growing each year, that there's continually more interest as the year goes on than there was at the start. We know you're out there. We know you are excited about what's going on and what the future may hold. And that's why we're excited to keep this thing going. And on a personal level, this has been such a pleasure for me to do this with you and with Tim for the last three years. And, you know, take you behind the scenes a little bit, guys. I mean, th- there are some late nights. We tape this at the end of the night after I'm finished writing my articles. Al is up till the wee hours working on his own podcast, plus this one. Tim is up even later than either of us editing and putting everything together. But we do it because we love to do it. And we know that you all out there love it and care about it. And we've heard that from so many of you over the last three years. So it continues to be our pleasure to do this. And I say that genuinely, no matter how late a night it is, whether I'm on the West Coast, no matter how long the game was or what craziness happened during it, I always look forward to sitting down and recording this with you guys because it is just fun to be able to share everything that I gather from being around the team every day and talk with somebody else who has such good insight on baseball and to know that there's somebody behind the scenes putting this all together in such a professional podcast that is appealing to our listeners. Yeah, you know, I've said this to Tim. We could not do this if, uh, I certainly could not do this if you guys weren't so great to work with because there are so many games and so many late nights to where, like, if you had people who were not easy to work with, there's no way you could plow through 162 games, right? So you guys definitely make it a lot of fun and uh, it is a good time. And, uh, you know, it's funny too doing this, right? Because, like, we do this show and we tape it talking to each other. And so, you don't know like who's listening, right? I mean, in theory, nobody could be listening. And so when you hear from all these people listening, it's always kind of a cool thing of like, oh yeah, like what you say matters. And you know, I always love it when people say, well, how come you said this, but not that? And how come all the way back then you said this? People will remember things that we said that we don't remember saying, you know, like that's how it is when you do something like this. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And we will be doing off-season episodes, kind of like what we've done the last few years as uh, developments warrant. Uh, but, you know, we'll be with you every so often to, uh, you know, get into what the Nats are doing in the offseason. And, uh, you know, the beauty of sports is you never know. You never know what big Nationals development could be lurking around the corner. So we shall see. So in the meantime, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our website to NatsChatPodcast.com. Like I said, we have the Nats Chat Podcast Party. It's coming up Friday night, October 13th at Walters, beginning at 6.30. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman and Tim Shovers, I'm Al Goldie. We thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon on the Nats Chat Podcast. One ball and one strike to count. Right-hander to the belt. Third base side of the slam. He kicks, he delivers. Swing a line drive left field. Jake Alou is there, backing up a couple of steps. He makes the catch. And bang, Zuma, Curly W's in the books. And so is a series win in Atlanta on the final road trip of the year.